6 a.m. on the West Coast. It's 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America. <sighs> 2 p.m. in London, England. 7.30 in Mumbai, India. 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan. And in Malaysia, it's another Saturday night. And I ain't got nobody. I got some money because I just... Actually, no, I don't have any money, and I didn't just get paid. Hello, everybody. I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Rumble.com. And uh, hello to all of our uh, viewers. If you're watching the video replay later, hello to you, too. And, of course, we're also a podcast, and all of our podcast listeners, there's hundreds of you. Thank you so much. I love you. I love you guys across the planet, U.S., Malaysia, India, Australia, U.K., Sweden. We picked up some listeners in Sweden to our podcast. You will find us on all the podcast platforms. In fact, we just added a new one. Audrey, is it? What is it called? Yeah, Audrey.io, so you check that out too. I think it's more of a podcaster site, but check it out. We're on everything. Uh, Google, Apple, Spotify. We're right up there with Joe Rogan, and, uh, and uh, you know, we, <coughs> yeah, we have the same audience. Yeah, I'm sure. <clears throat> but I don't have a $100 million contract with Spotify. That's the difference. So, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're out there. We're having fun. And it's time to get you updated on our favorite little girl. Miko Update. Missy Miko, Miko Update. Miko is sitting behind me right now, laying on the floor. She has her comfort wrap on. We showed you that on a previous stream. Uh, Because for some reason, the fireworks tonight are bad. There's a ton of them. Of course, first day Chinese New Year was crazy. Second day, not so bad. It's been dwindling off. Last night, hardly anything. Now, for some reason, tonight, there's more fireworks. And I, I don't know, people just get bored or whatever. It's not... I think the next big one is going to be the Hokkien Day, which is uh, next Tuesday, I think it is. Look, these Chinese people do not screw around. When they celebrate, they celebrate i'm telling you a chinese new year is like what 15 days long i mean nobody has all that time off unless you took you know leave but honestly there's like 15 days of chinese new year it just goes on and on and on and on so anyway next tuesday will probably be another one because it's a big night in uh for people uh who are hokkien in the uh, uh chinese culture ah, anyway so she's doing well she's okay we have a big event coming up on the 13th i think is that a sunday it's a sunday there's a big event at dessa park city and i don't want to tell you too much about it now because it's preliminary you don't need to it just basically save the 13th and come to dessa park city it has to do with shiba inus miko will be there and uh, we hope to see you too. And it's a charity event. All of the Shiba Inu owners, or a lot of them in Malaysia, have gotten together. We're doing a charity event. It's for a very worthwhile cause. And we hope that you will show up 
and that you will give. I will tell you more about it, I promise, beforehand, and you can just mark the date on your calendar, 13th February, save that date, and I'll give you all the details coming up, and hopefully you get a chance to stop by and uh, say hi to Miko, and a lot of other of Malaysia's uh, favorite Shiba Inus. So that's uh, that'll be coming up on uh, Sunday the 13th. Check it out. Mm. I will tell you more. Maybe even I can get uh, one of the organizers on to talk about it for a little bit. That would be nice. We'll, do, we'll see if we can do that too. Uh, and meantime, I, I wanted to share this one thing with you. Check this out. Uh, this is not Miko, although I think there is a Shiba Inu in here. But um, this is a Chinese New Year's celebration, and uh, it's from Furry Kids Safe Haven. And they did this as a promotional video. And you'll see, again, if you're listening on the podcast, sorry, there's a link in our show notes, I think. But she's going around serving all the dogs who are dressed up in their best Chinese New Year outfits, uh, a little helping of dog food to celebrate the season. Apparently, the husky was too big to sit at the table, so he's eating on the on the ground. But everybody else is uh, all done up in their Chinese New Year outfits and uh, eating, sitting around. Look at that. How cute is that, huh? It's fantastic. Check out the link. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's it's an animal shelter. You can uh, contribute uh, to them over there. It's, it's a great cause, and that is a very cool video. All right. Before we go any further... And this is not our main topic tonight. We'll get to that after this. But I had to share this. It's from chilisauce.my. I believe the link is in the show notes. And I just want to say, if I offend anybody tonight, Kathunia Kairu following. Thank you. Thanks for the follow. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Uh, good to have you along. Anyway, if I offend anybody tonight, and we try not to, this isn't one of those controversial shows necessarily. Basically, we spend about an hour having some fun, sharing weird stuff I find on the net. And, of course, we also read classic books at the end of our live stream uh, and our podcast. So you can, we're doing Tom Sawyer. That'll be coming up. But I saw this in Chili Sauce. I think the link's in our show notes tonight. Let me just double check that it is. If it's not, it should be. Yes, it is. Okay, so you'll find the link to the whole article because I'm not going to read the article. But just take a look here at the headline. Uh, should you sue your online haters for defamation or complain to the MCMC? Now, that is something particular to us here in Malaysia. Um it's an article about our Minister of Health suing somebody for defamation, blah, 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 BS, whatever. Read the article if you want to know about that. But here, here is what scares the hell out of me. Chili Sauce has actually quoted the Section 233 of the CMA committing an offense for, their, uh, for supposedly inflammatory social media posts. Improper use of network, this is reading, quoting from the actual ordinance or law or whatever it is. Uh, improper use of network facilities or network services, etc. A person who by means of any network facility, blah, 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 knowingly makes, creates, or solicits and initiates the transmission of any comment, request, suggestion, 
or other communication which is obscene, indecent, menacing, or, and this is the weird, scary one, offensive in character, which is intending to annoy, abuse, threaten, or harass another person, or initiates a communication using any application service continuously, repeatedly, or otherwise. In other words, like, say, doing a live stream three days a week with the intent to annoy, abuse, threaten, or harass any person. Long story short, there only needs to be proof that you created and transmitted a communication considered to be offensive. Now, frankly, I think this is about as dumb as freaking law that I've ever read because anybody can be offended by anything. And frankly, I've said it before. So you got offended. Oh, does it hurt? You want a Band-Aid? You want to go cry to mommy? So what? You got offended. Put on your big boy pants and get over it. You're offended. Shut up and sit down. So that's the deal. What are you going to do? There is literally nothing anyone can do anywhere online except, you know, rainbows and babies and puppy dogs. Oh, can't do puppy dogs because that might offend somebody, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So basically, uh, there is no content anyone can do anymore online. So good night, everybody. You think I'm kidding? Well, okay, I am kidding. But seriously, how badly written is this law? Anyone who gets offended by anything has technically committed a violation of this ridiculous statute. <sighs> Knock yourselves out, folks. All right, let's get out of this because it's just stupid and I don't want to waste any more of my time or your time talking about stupid things. Although this one might just rank up there too. It is our, our thumbnail headline tonight, and that is that no, the customer is not always right. Look, I've been in the service business before. I've mostly spent my career in content creation from radio to television to film to online to whatever. It's always been some form or another of entertainment, I suppose, if you want to call it that. But I have worked in the service business. When I was a late teenager, I tried to work in a restaurant as a waiter. It was a local restaurant in West Cornwall. It was called The Deck. It's long, long gone. I lasted one half of one shift. I kid you not. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I don't know how you waiters and waitresses do your job. And my hat is off to you. A huge round of applause for all waiters and waitresses out there, service people, because I tried and I it was an eight-hour shift, four hours into it. I took off my apron and said, you know what? This isn't for me. I can't do it. I just couldn't remember anything. And this was before I got old. I was only in my late teenage years. Um, 
you know, remembering who gets what, what, who ordered what, how they ordered it. I'm writing everything down, everything like that. I mean, I'm great on the politeness and yes, thank you. Oh, nice to see you, blah, blah, you know. But the technical end of doing your job, beyond me, beyond me. I also sold cars for a while. Yes, I was a car salesman. I sold, I worked at a Subaru dealership in uh, Torrington, Connecticut. Uh, and, um, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. I was okay as a car salesman, but you can imagine, I'm sure. But, um, this article appeared in the wall street journal, and I don't believe this is behind a paywall. Sometimes I don't like to put paywall stuff in the, in the show notes, but the link is here. Uh, it's from the wall street journal. It says restaurants and hotels push back against the uptick in customer tantrums. You know, all the Karens out there who, you know, let me speak to a manager. Owners are setting new ground rules during the COVID-19 pandemic, going against the old adage that the customer is always right. And this is by uh, Claire Ansbury from the Wall Street Journal. Oh, okay, sorry. It is behind a payroll, a paywall. But um, basically, uh, there is a four letter, four words in capital letters that he printed and taped to the front door of this guy's restaurant. It says, be kind or leave. <laughs> People's patience has been tried. People have done all they can to push, push, push. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. You have to do what I ask because the customer's always right. They're not. Okay, you can bend over backwards to try and please somebody, but there comes a point where you just have to put your foot down and say, you know what, if that's your attitude, if that's the way you're going to treat my staff, I don't need your business. Get out. Hit the pavement. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on your way out. I'm absolutely serious about that, and I think more people should do that. I'll tell you one thing that I have noticed, a good thing about our culture here in Malaysia. First of all, people are insanely polite. For the most part, most everybody gets along. We all are polite, and we're nice, we're kind. Uh, there's a few idiosyncrasies that are bothersome, but, you know, for the most part, it's like, whatever, whatever, whatever. Eh. People have that sort of an attitude about life in general and the way things are. It's just the way it is. Shikata ganai, uh, as the Japanese say. But um, <laughs> it's uh, it doesn't happen that often that we wind up, although we had one at KLCC a little while ago, <laughs> um, it doesn't happen that often that uh, that we have these these disgusting, ridiculous customers who get up in everybody's faces and treat people badly. But you have my 110% support if you get one of these morons and you tell them, hit the bricks. I don't need your business. Get out. Because whoever he or she and his small little circle of idiot friends are, you don't need any of their business. And if you are one of these people, knock it off. Treat people with respect. You have no concept. Likely you've never even gotten any dirt under your fingernails. You've never had a real job. You never had the kind of job where you had to sweat and dig and work 
for a living with your hands. You have no appreciation whatsoever for these people, and you need to. You need to have some sympathy and some empathy and to realize these people are doing their jobs, they're doing the best they can, they're there to serve you. And if you are making unreasonable demands, well, that's exactly what they are, unreasonable. Knock it off. Be kind. If you're not happy with somebody's service, turn around and head out the door and go somewhere else. There's no reason to add to the mess by just trying to make everybody's life miserable. You're not going to solve a problem. Hopefully, the people who run the business are not going to put up with you. And like I've said a hundred times now, they're going to tell you, hit the road, get out, because that's exactly what you deserve. All right, not going to spend any more time on this, but just wanted to share that. Do check it out. The link's in the show notes. It is behind a paywall, but if you're subscribed to the Wall Street Journal or you send them an email or something, then uh, you can likely check that one out. All right, what else we got going on tonight? Let's see what, uh, why is my... My browser is, oh, man. Ah, oh, what a great story. You've got to see this. I, I saw this and my heart broke. This is absolutely amazing. You're going to have to give me a minute because my, uh, my browser has decided it wants to have a conniption fit. And uh, I have <laughs> no idea. <clears throat> it's a story <clears throat> about a teacher and what she did to treat her kids in such an amazing way. This is from uh, World of Buzz. We love the folks at World of Buzz. They do such a great job at covering some amazing uh, stories. And some of the strange stories you don't hear everywhere else, which is nice. Some slice of life and uh, good moments, random acts kind of things. So this is the, uh, the article. It says, Teacher Treats 30 Students to KFC. Okay, that happens all the time. Teacher offers their kids a reward if they pass their exams or if they have 100% attendance, something like that, and she'll treat them or he'll treat them to KFC. But here's the twist in this story. Most of these 30 students have never been to a KFC. They've never even tried it because they can't afford it. What an amazing story. You must read the whole article. It's in our show notes tonight. Do check it out. Uh, most of them, this is the teacher quoting here, most of them had never eaten at a KFC or ever even set foot inside a store. Now, the kids' faces are all blurred out here because, you know, they're kids. Um, but we often take things for granted, the article says, especially when it comes to dining at our favorite restaurants and fast food joints. And recently, a video of a teacher taking over 30 of her kids to a KFC went viral. The woman's name is Maniza Fahida Ismail. I hope I pronounced her name right, Ismaniza. Uh, she is also known as Chikpuan Gojes. Uh, shared the experience on her social media page. Look at these kids having the time of their lives uh, at KFC. And in the caption, she writes, First time setting foot inside a KFC. Many people just say that they could have just taken the food and eaten it in school, uh, something that seemed trivial and simple for some people, but it actually gives them hope, she wrote. At first, we weren't allowed to eat in since there were 30 of us, 
but I fought for it as my children wanted to experience eating in a KFC. Many had never even been in the store in their lives. Uh, she did an interview with M Star, and she said initially she wanted to attract the interest of her students so they'd have full attendance and do all their schoolwork. Uh, they appeared to lack interest, so uh, she promised that whoever does their work, she'll treat them, and coincidentally, every single one of them finished it, did it. So asked them what they wanted, and 90% answered KFC. And then she wondered why so many of these kids wanted KFC and discovered that 98% of them had never eaten or even set foot inside a KFC. This is crazy. Uh, she's an English phys ed and music teacher at Sekula Kabangsa An Sayed She Kupang Kada. And uh, those who have eaten it only got it because other people gave it to them. She says, as a teacher, I know their backgrounds. Some have fathers who've passed away, divorced. Some are orphans. Uh, so from there, the pleasures of life are comparatively less than others, sadly. Uh, when we got to the KFC, they were jumping for joy. Some so excited their hands started to shake. And uh, one of the saddest sights, she said, was when to see the kids were so amazed to see sauces coming out of the pumps. You know those pump things for chili sauce and ketchup they have at, at KFC? A lot of restaurants. They'd never seen that sort of thing before. Uh, they were all saying, wow, and they were confused why the chili sauce and ketchup wasn't in a bottle. And it really showed that some of them indeed had never, ever even set foot inside a KFC before. And so they had their first experience. And she said, I deliberately bought a big combo for everyone because I know people who are not privileged would want to share any food that's good with their other family members. And the video that she took is also in this story. It's, it's such a heartwarming story. It is so amazing. And um, hat tip, a big hat tip to this incredible teacher here in Malaysia. Check out the article in our show notes. It's from World of Buzz. And uh, it will do your heart good, trust me. Yeah, amazing. All right. Thank you to that teacher. Teachers, I'm telling you, we need to treat our teachers better, too. You have no idea the influence teachers have. I was thinking about this when I read this article. I can remember every single one of my teachers from kindergarten all the way up through. Every one of them had some influence or another impactful influence on my life. You would, uh, you would think we would, we would do more, and we should do more for our amazing teachers. Um, you know, I debated sharing this next story. It's also from, from World of Buzz. It is in our show notes. And so I, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to give you the headline. I'm going to make a comment and I'm going to move on because this is not for people in Malaysia. People in Malaysia already know the kind of bull crap with this garbage we have here. People outside of this country may not because I don't think a whole lot of countries have the same sort of racial crap that we have in this country. Maybe, maybe, maybe you do. If you do, I'm sorry that you have to put up with that crap. But here's a headline from World of Buzz that to some people, like say in my home country, they will be shaking their heads going, what? 
UITM trending on Twitter as Malaysians are still debating if UITM should be open to all races. Vernacular schools take any races. Yeah, UITM? Uh, yeah. Uh, thousands of people are tweeting about the university. Subject that got them tweeting is not something new. Year after year, some people still debating over the same matter. Should UITM be open to all, including non-boomies? Okay. Uh, if you're not in Malaysia, you'll need to look that up. I don't want to get into this whole mess. But basically, if you are not a Bumiputra, if you are Chinese, if you are Indian, whatever else race that there are a substantial number of in this country, you are not allowed to go to this university. It's basically just racist. But there you go. I said I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on it, and I'm not. Please read the article. Please react accordingly. Did you know American Indians? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Big subject switch, right? Did you know American Indians actually had katanas, samurai swords? Huh? Yeah. I, I did the same thing when I saw this picture. Apparently... Through bartering, American Indians, a, quite a large number of them, had and used samurai swords. Check this picture out. This, the link is in our show notes. This is in Nebraska. And here is a dog child and his wife, Gleichen, and his wife from Gleichen, Alberta. Okay, it must be Canada. And check this is a very old photograph. And um, this is a, what looks like a, a katana, a Japanese uh, samurai sword in the hands of a Native American Indian. Very strange. Uh, like most, the sword of Chief Red Cloud's wall appears to be of relative high quality. It also appears to be in very good condition. Handle wrapped of silk, intact, and the lacquered wood scabbard seems undamaged. And apparently, they would get these uh, swords through bartering. Things, you know, you've got this, I've got that, we'll swap one for one. And consequently, they wound up with um, uh, Native Americans having armed themselves with samurai swords. Again, just a really straight... The article is fascinating. You've got to check it out. Um, Indians and Japanese swords on the North Plains frontier. Uh, European swords, very popular trade among Indian groups in all parts of the American frontier. And Indians accepted swords as weapons, status symbols, and ceremonial objects and readily adopted them into their own material culture since European swords were available from explorers. So there you go. Um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing article. Check it out. The link, as I said, is in our show notes tonight. And, uh, and it's very cool. You will enjoy it, trust me. All right. One or two more things to get to, and then we are off to the races on our book tonight with Tom Sawyer. Sorry, coffee break. 
By the way, also in our show notes, you will find a link to buy mer- merchandise, our Miko merch for our show. This is our show logo. This is little Miko. And this is a 15-ounce coffee mug. They're very nice. And we have a mouse pad. We've got T-shirts, ball caps, hoodies, stickers, notebooks, all kinds of cool stuff. Click on that first link. I think it is in our show notes. It'll take you to the page where all our merchandise is over on twitch.tv. You want to check it out. Make a purchase and help support the show. All right. This is cool. This is so cool. I found this. Who posted? Is it Dennis? I don't know. It was Dennis. It seems like a Dennis post, but I'm not sure. Uh, it's it's just words on a page. I'll put the thing up. The link is in our show notes if you want to read it for yourself or save it for later. Or even share it. Please do share it because it's amazing. Again, it's very tiny. I don't think you can read that. So, um but let me just read what's written here. And it talks about it talks about being a real person. You think about it while I read these words. If you were born in a middle-class family, you learned to check the price first and the dish later. You look at shops from the outside and decide if you can afford to go in. And if you're in an expensive place with a fancy crowd, you hope to disappear so no one notices you. You want to avoid it all, but you can't, like when your friends drag you to a big nightclub where you're surrounded by stylish people, expensive alcohol. You get nervous about your clothes. You wonder if you're standing out for all the wrong reasons. Or when you have to go to a costly restaurant for a meeting, you keep checking on how much you're eating, hoping you won't add too much to the bill. You always save more and spend less. But in time, as you grow up, work hard, things change. You travel to places, you buy expensive things, stay in big hotel rooms, eat at fancy restaurants, and now you can afford it. But you always remember how there was a time when you could not afford it. You don't want to forget your roots. And while you do enjoy the bigger things now and then, you still prefer the simpler, normal, middle-class ones. It's where you can be yourself. And now you've realized it's okay to avoid some places and things, not because you can't afford them, but maybe because you just don't fit in. Wow. That from Joel Thotten. And it is brilliant. Not because you can't afford those things, but because if you grew up in that kind of middle, lower middle class culture, which is where I grew up, you realize you just don't fit there. Truer words, my friends. Truer words. Wow. All right. You ready for some classic books? I am. <laughs> We're doing Tom Sawyer, uh, and um, 
If you don't know or if you're new to the stream, thank you, first of all. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube and Rumble.com. And uh, we really appreciate your subscriptions. It's all free. You just hit the button that says subscribe or follow, and that's all you need to do. And thank you for that. Really appreciate it. And for those of you who are listening to us on our podcasts, my subscriptions over there and downloads have been great. Thank you so much. I love you to death. Thank you, guys. Um, But at the end of every show, we've been doing this from 173, as it shows now. We read classic books, and uh, we've done The Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan. Uh, We've done so many, The Little Prince. And um, we're doing Tom Sawyer right now from uh, Mark Twain. We have uh, gotten about mm, a third to halfway, I think, through this book. And uh, it's been amazing. It it really, uh, Mark Twain's writing, if you don't know it, is insanely good. Uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, it was written in 1876. Little weird piece of trivia. It was one of the first novels ever entirely written on a typewriter, which is kind of cool. And there is one warning I want to put out there. This was written, as I said, in 1876. Some of the words in these books were appropriate at the time. However, today they are considered vulgar, rightly so. That includes the N-word. It is used in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Uh, We are reading what is written on the page. So you're likely uh, once in a while going to hear an N-word or two or something else that is not culturally appropriate these days if that offends you you might want to just move along to another show at this point but uh, we're reading what's written the way mark twain originally wrote it in 1876 it is chapter 14 tonight in the adventures of tom sawyer when tom awoke in the morning he wondered where he was He sat up, rubbed his eyes, looked around, and then he comprehended. It was the cool gray dawn. There was a delicious sense of repose and peace in the deep pervading calm and silence of the woods. Not a leaf stirred, not a sound obtruded upon nature's meditation. Beaded dewdrops stood upon the leaves and grasses. A white layer of ashes covered the fire, and a thin blue smoke rose straight into the air. Joe and Huck still slept. And now far away in the woods a bird called. Another answered. Presently the hammering of a woodpecker was heard. Gradually the cool dim gray of the morning whitened, and as gradually sounds multiplied and life manifested itself. The marvel of nature, shaking off sleep and going to work unfolded itself to the musing boy. A little green worm came crawling over a dewy leaf, lifting two-thirds of its body into the air from time to time and sniffing around, then proceeding again, for he was measuring. Tom said, and when the worm approached him of his own accord, he sat as still as a stone, with his hopes rising and falling by turns, as the creature still came toward him and seemed inclined to go elsewhere. When at last it considered a painful moment, 
with its curved body in the air, and then came decisively down upon Tom's leg and began a journey over him. His whole heart was glad, for that meant he was going to have a new suit of clothes without the shadow of a doubt of a gaudy, piratical uniform. Now a procession of ants appeared from nowhere in particular and went about their labors. One struggled manfully with a dead spider five times as big as itself in its arms, lugged it straight up a tree trunk. A brown-spotted ladybug climbed the dizzy heights of a blast, uh, blade of grass, and Tom bent down close to it and said, Ladybug, ladybug, fly away home. Your house is on fire. Your children are alone. She took wing and went off to see about it, which did not surprise the boy, for he knew of old that this insect was credulous about conflagrations, and he'd practiced upon its simplicity more than once. A tumblebug came next, heaving sturdily at its ball, and Tom touched the creature to see it shut its legs against its body and pretend to be dead. The birds were fairly rioting by this time. A catbird, the northern mocker, lit in a tree over Tom's head and trilled out her imitations of her neighbors in a rapture of enjoyment. And then a shrill jay swept down, a flash of blue flame, and stopped on a twig almost within the boy's reach, cocked his head to one side and eyed the stranger with a consuming curiosity. A gray squirrel and a big fellow of the fox kind came scurrying along, sitting up at intervals to inspect and chatter at the boys, for the wild things had probably never seen a human being before, and scarcely knew whether to be afraid or not. Not all nature was wide awake and stirring now. Long lances of sunlight pierced down through the dense foliage far and near, and a few butterflies came fluttering upon the scene. Tom stirred up the other pirates, and they all clattered away with a shout, and in a minute or two were stripped and chasing after and tumbling over each other in the shallow, limpid water of the white sandbar. They felt no longing for the little village sleeping in the distance beyond the majestic waste of water. A vagrant current or a slight rise in the river had carried off their raft, but this only gratified them, since it was going something like burning the bridge between them and civilization. They came back to camp wonderfully refreshed, glad-hearted, ravenous, and they soon had the campfire blazing up again. Huck found a spring of clear, cold water close by, and the boy had made cups of broad oak or hickory leaves and felt that water sweetened with such a wild wood charm as that would be a good enough substitute for coffee. While Joe was slicing bacon for breakfast, Tom and Huck asked him to hold on a minute. They stepped to a promising nook in the river bank and threw in their lines, and almost immediately they were rewarded. Joe hadn't time to get impatient before they went, were back again with some handsome bass, a couple of sun perch, and a small catfish. Provisions enough for quite a family. They fried the fish with the bacon and were astonished. No fish ever seemed so delicious before. 
They didn't know that the quicker a freshwater fish is on the fire after he's caught, the better he is. And they reflected little upon what a sauce, open-air sleeping, open-air exercise, bathing, and a large ingredient of hunger make too. They lay around in the shade after breakfast, while Huck had a smoke, then went off through the woods on an exploring expedition. They tramped gaily along over decaying logs through tangled underbrush among slalom monarchs of the forest, hung from their crowns to the ground with a drooping regalia of grapevines. Now and then they came upon snug nooks carpeted with grass and jeweled with flowers. Oh, they found plenty of things to be delighted with, but nothing to be astonished at. They discovered the island was about three miles long and about a quarter mile wide, and that the shore it lay closest to was only separated from it by a narrow channel hardly two hundred yards wide. They took a swim about every hour or so, and it was close upon the middle of the afternoon when they got back to camp. They were too hungry to stop to fish, but they fared sumptuously upon cold ham and then threw themselves down in the shade to talk. But the talk soon began to drag and then died. The stillness, the solemnity that brooded in the woods and the sense of loneliness began to tell upon the spirit of the boys. They fell to thinking, the sort of Undefined longing crept upon them. This took dim shape presently. It was budding homesickness. Even firm, the red-handed, was dreaming of his doorsteps, empty hogsheads. But they were all ashamed of their weakness, and none of them was brave enough to speak his thought. For some time now, the boys have been dully conscious of a peculiar sound in the distance, just as one sometimes is of the ticking of a clock when he takes no distinct note of it. But now, this mysterious sound became more pronounced and forced a recognition. The boys started, glanced at each other, and then each assumed a listening attitude. There was a long silence, profound and unbroken, and then a deep, sullen boom came floating down out of the distance. What is it? exclaimed Joe under his breath. I wonder, said Tom in a whisper. Taint thunder, said Huckleberry in an awed tone, because thunder, hark, said Tom. Listen, don't talk. They waited a time that seemed an age, and then the same muffled boom troubled the solemn hush. Let's go and see. They sprang to their feet, hurried to the shore toward the town. They parted the brushes on the bank and peered out over the water. A little steam ferry boat was about a mile below the village, drifting with the current. Her broad deck seemed crowded with people. There were great many skiffs rowing about or floating with the stream in the neighborhood with the ferry boat, but the boys couldn't determine what the men in them were doing. Presently, a great jet of white smoke burst from the ferry boat's side, and as it expanded, it rose in a lazy cloud, that same dull throb of sound 
was born to the listeners again. Boom! I know it, exclaimed Tom. Somebody's drowned. That's it, said Huck. They done that last summer when Bill Turner got drowned. They shoot a cannon over the water that makes him come up to the top. Yep, they take loaves of bread, put quicksilver in them, and set them afloat, and wherever there's anybody that's drowned, they'll float right there and stop. Yes, I heard about that, said Joe. I, I wonder what makes the bread do that. Ah, it ain't the bread so much, said Tom. I reckon it's mostly what they say over it before it starts out. Uh, but they don't say anything over it, said Huck. I seen them. They don't. Well, that's funny, said Tom, but maybe they say it to themselves, or I, of course they do. Anybody might know that. The other boys agreed there was a reasoning in what Tom said, because an ignorant lump of bread, instructed by an incantation, could not be expected to act very intelligently when set upon an errand of such gravity. By jinx, I wish I was over there right now, said Joe. I do too, said Hook. I'd give heaps to know who it is. The boys still listened and watched. and Presently, a revealing thought flashed through Tom's mind, and he exclaimed, Boys, I know who drowned it. It's us! They felt like heroes in an instant. There was gorgeous triumph. They were missed. They were mourned. Hearts were breaking on their accounts. Tears were being shed, accusing memories of unkindness to these poor lost lads was rising up, and unavailing regrets and remorse were being indulged. And best of all, the departed were the talk of the whole town, the envy of all the boys. As far as this dazzling notoriety was concerned, this was fine. It was worthwhile to be a pirate after all. As twilight drew on, the ferryboat went back to her accustomed business and the skiffs disappeared. The pirates returned to camp. They were jubilant with vanity over their new grandeur and the illustrious trouble they were making. They caught fish, cooked supper, and ate it, and then fell to guessing at what the village was thinking and saying about them. The pictures they drew of the public distress on their account were gratifying to look upon from their point of view. But when the shadows of night closed in on them and they gradually ceased to talk and sat gazing into the fire, with their minds evidently wandering elsewhere, the excitement was gone now, and Tom and Joe could not keep back thoughts of certain persons at home who were not enjoying this fine frolic as much as they were. Misgivings came. They grew troubled and unhappy. A sigh or two escaped, unawares. By and by, Joe timidly ventured upon a roundabout feeler as to how the others might look upon a return to civilization. Uh, not right now, but Tom withered him with derision. Huck, being unaccompanied as yet, joined in with Tom, and the waverer quickly explained, and was glad to get out of the scrap with as little taint of chicken-hearted homesickness clinging to his garments as he could. Mutiny was effectively 
laid to rest for the moment. As the night deepened, Huck began to nod, presently to snore. Joe followed next. Tom lay on his elbows motionless for some time and watched the two intently. At last he got up cautiously on his knees and went searching among the grass and the flickering reflections flung by the campfire. He picked up and inspected several large semi-cylinders of the thin white bark of a sycamore tree, finally chose two which seemed to suit him. Then he knelt by the fire and painfully wrote something upon each of these with his red keel. One he rolled up, put in his jacket pocket, the other he put in Joe's hat and removed it to a little distance from the owner. And he also put into the hat certain schoolboy treasures of almost inestimable, inestimable value. Among them, a lump of chalk, an Indian rubber ball, three fish hooks, and one of that kind of marbles known as a sure-enough crystal. Then he tiptoed his way cautiously among the trees until he felt he was out of hearing and straightway broke into a keen run in the direction of the sandbar. And that's chapter 14. <laughs> we'll get on with chapter 15 on our next stream coming up on Monday night. Wow, good stuff. All right, that's going to do it for uh, tonight. We will see you again on Monday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time, and uh, we'll have more fun stuff to chat about. And, of course, we'll get on with Chapter 15 and the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. <laughs> All right, folks, I will see you Monday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon. Be sure you hit that like and subscribe button and follow. I'm not wearing pants. Good night. Yo.